With a wave of distributed denial of service attacks disrupting online services of banks, IT security professionals in all types of organizations want to know how best to defend against these DDoS assaults. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be speaking with Matthew Scholl. He's Deputy Chief of the Computer Security Division at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Thanks, Matt, for taking time to chat. My pleasure. Why does it seem that DDoS attacks are so difficult to defend, even if there's warning ahead of time that they're coming, as is the case with some of these banks? A DDoS attack is a difficult one to defend against for a lot of different reasons. First of all, the attack mounts and is spawned external to an organization. So the attack is going to spin up, it's going to be launched, and the assault will come from outside of your perimeter. Even if you potentially do have visibility of the attack coming, which most do not, there's not a lot you can realistically do about it until it kind of crashes on your front door is the first issue. The second issue is through the prevalence of the botnets, it's an easy attack to launch, and it's a semi-easy attack to to launch from multiple locations. All those factors make it a difficult type of attack to ensure that you maintain your availability of your systems against. Now, that being said, it's not a new type of attack. And a lot of the current technologies that are deployed around perimeters, border routers and firewalls, are configured these days to look for the signatures of a DDoS and then to natively combat it. The hopeless case, there are lots of technologies available to help against DDoS attacks, but it is an easy one to launch and a hard one to spot. Well, you talk about uh, technology that could combat that natively. One would assume that the financial services industry is way ahead of a lot of other industries. So why do you think they're successful? Is it just it's just so overwhelming and, the, and regardless of what you do, it's hard to defend? Well, it, it is overwhelming. That's the that's the intent of those of the DDoS attack is to overwhelm. You know whether or not those attacks have been successful or not against the current targets. You know, I, I think it's quasi a matter of debate. Those uh, some of those financial institutions may have been down for a little bit, but no one is out for the count. Many have provo- have services come back online. A lot of the dynamic nature of networks now and the organizational side have allowed for a more flexible internet presence to allow that to happen. A large-scale distributed denial of service attack may knock an organization down for a day, a weekend, but we have yet to see it actually take someone offline or actually crush their infrastructure for a couple of different reasons. It's the constant back-and-forth game between those who are trying to provide the services and those who are trying to take them down. Being down for a few hours or a day or so may not be a worst case scenario, although obviously it is very disruptive to the business and its reputation in, in cases like that. Right. The, you're saying the defenses are basically working. Well, yeah, and I guess I work at NIST and we, we like to quantify things as much as we can. So, you know, terms like working and success or failure are difficult to quantify. As you very aptly said, down for a weekend means different thing to different businesses. A couple of years ago, there was a large DDoS attack against eBay. Now, you take eBay down for an hour. The economic impact of that is, is different to eBay than it is if you take uh, a mobile banking site down for a day. And I'm not sure exactly where those, you know, where those two line up, but I'm pretty sure that the financial impacts to those institutions are different because of their dependencies on that web presence for their customers. And as such, those different organizations then look at the need for their systems to be available and then prioritize their defenses against DDoS 
against them. Technology that's been extraordinarily interesting in the DDoS arena is the use of cloud technology, cloud web services. You're not necessarily completely dependent on your physical infrastructure that you own to scale up and be able to stay on pace with denial of service attack coming, but you have an entire cloud infrastructure that you can spin up and provision to keep pace with the scale of the attack. And then if when the attack subsides, then you can drop that infrastructure back down again and just pay for that service that you need as the attack occurs. So we've seen the use of clouds and the elasticity and the dynamic nature of cloud technology to be something that is kind of changing the economics of a DDoS attack. You have the security concerns with the cloud. And of course, when you were talking about the cloud, I guess maybe in a case of an institution like banking where you have very obviously sensitive information, money as being a form of information involved. I guess there still could be private clouds or other kinds of secure environment where these can be used as backup systems or maybe eventually the systems themselves. Be they private clouds, public clouds, or a hybrid, those decisions on which cloud to use would be, as you said, driven by the risk tolerance of that organization and what kind of data or services they're going to be using with that cloud provider. If there was an unlimited number of servers an organization could use, would that, would that be a way to just defend against it? I mean, it may not be very practical, but is that, is that basically a, a defense? It starts off at your borders. The technologies at your borders should be, and, and usually are, configured to look for some of the generic type DDoS attack signatures. A half-open TCP connection is one of the classic signatures, and often your border routers and your servers and your DMZs are configured to close those connections on your side within X amount of time to allow then additional ports to stay open so that the attackers are trying to use up all your resources, and then you on your side are just trying to close those requests as fast as you can when you see that signature of them not being used. Now, that being said, it's like I said, it's a back and forth game. Who can, who can flood faster? Who can shut down quicker? There's failover technologies. With the use now of virtual networking and dynamic networks, there's lots of things that can be due on dynamic addressing to help move yourself out from under the attack. So there's a lot of technologies both that are very, I'm going to use the word legacy, but are, but are, are very commercially available, as well as some new ones that are being commercially used that can really help with a, a DDoS attack. The other thing is, especially in the commercial organizations, there's a significant amount of consideration and cooperation with your local carrier who can also help you with that traffic volume if you've got that kind of relationship, be it ad hoc or contractual with your ISP. There are some structural things on the internet happening. The move to IPv6, there are uh, new uh, domain naming systems coming on board. Can they play a role at all in defending against these kind of attacks? I believe they can, uh, but for sometimes indirect or even tertiary reasons. So with uh, IPv6, you now have globally reachable IPs uh, so that every endpoint can have its own IP address that is routable. And therefore, you can have a lot more understanding of where the specific individual traffic is coming from, which makes it easier than to, if you need to, shut off the reception of those specific IP addresses or blocks of addresses, rather than just getting a flood out of somewhere behind a NAT of a large amount of traffic and you're really not kind of sure where exactly it's coming from. And then it potentially also can allow for the identification of where the botnets exist, because at its heart, most 
but not all, but most of the DDoX attacks occur in a structure where there's compromised machines that are executed by a controller. You know, my machine here at home, your machine in your office, uh, my mother's machine at her beach house, get a virus on it, and that virus is intended to use that machine as a launch point as one of those many distributed attack points for the distributed surface. IPv6 can also help identify and mitigate where those machines are that have those viruses and that potentially alert those people. What kind of guidance does NIST provide on DDoS attacks? So NIST has been looking at different types of attack classes and attack vectors for quite some time, and we've got a bunch of different guidance on how an organization can defend itself against a, a DDoS attack, starting with a mature, repeatable, and understandable risk management process so that an organization can identify, is availability of my IT and my information core or critical to me achieving my business goals. And then if so, then underneath that will be a suite of specific security controls that you should consider in order to maintain that type of availability. Use of virtualization, segmenting your networks, redundancy, failover, a contingency plans, consideration of operation under compromise, those types of things. NIST has put out some guidance on assisting organizations and how to use cloud technologies, which can also be helpful as an architecture should availability become a key consideration for them that uh, an organization might want to consider. In the malware space, because the launch points of this really come from malware infestations, NIST has a series of documents on malware prevention, malware identification, and incident response in order to clean up malware. The other thing that NIST has done working jointly with the Department of Commerce, which is our umbrella agency, is to initiate a significant dialogue with industry and their carriers on the problems of the botnets. And we last year had issued a green paper with the Department of Commerce to engage with industry and the ISPs on how we can collectively, public-private partnership, government and industry, come together voluntarily to work on reducing the botnet threat. Last year, NIST held a workshop on strategies for botnet reductions, and then we're going to continue to look at specifically how we can address botnets out in the infrastructures. Is there a part of solution of more regulation, or is this really not something that could be regulated when coming to DDoS attacks? I'm a technology guy, so I've never been overly optimistic of the use of regulation in solving a technology issue. Regulation can facilitate and assist in removing some barriers to adoption or in ensuring uh, coordination. I am not necessarily convinced that regulation will solve it. I think the NIST's approach is to work an open consensus manner to work whenever possible in the industry-led standards development organizations to see what can be done in those industry standards development organizations to help us address these things. So we would prefer to work with U.S. industry in organizations like the Internet Engineering Task Force, the IETF, or the International Organization for Standards, ISO, or these standards bodies that generate the interoperable and security standards for communications on the Internet. That's how we would prefer to address this. This is a recurring issue. We've seen DDoS attacks before, and we're probably going to see them again. Working together, public-private partnership, government, industry, carriers, and the public, that's going to be the solution to try to both enable us to defend against it on the organizational side and remove the capabilities of it at the threat side. Thanks, Matt. Sure. 
I've been speaking with Matthew Scholl, Deputy Chief of NIST Computer Security Division for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.